on this episode of Eating Out with Eric and Steve. I don't discriminate. I would eat anytime, all the time, anywhere, with anyone. Um, <laughs> Sheila kept running out and saying, you're doing too many faces. Stop doing faces. Don't do any faces. <laughs> I said to Jim, you know, I... Uh, I came pretty close on Ross, and he said, Oh, honey, they wrote the part for Schwimmer. You were wasting your time. (laughs) (laughs) Weird, chewing the fat over this and that, saying things you wouldn't believe. We're swallowing, we're spitting, we're joking and we're kidding. We're eating out with Eric and Steve. Yeah. Okay. Welcome back to Eating Out with Eric and Stephen. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Eric McCormack, and my dearest, one of my dearest and oldest friends, Stephen Weber. How are you doing, Bob? I'm your other host, Stephen Weber. Yeah. Uh, and and we're, uh, we're, I would love to say that we're eating out with two incredible friends today. Let's, let's be honest. We're eating in. We're eating in. We want you to conjure in your mind the image of us at a, at a restaurant. I can't imagine two people I, I wouldn't rather be in a restaurant with, uh, with, with Stephen Weber. Um, let me introduce you. Um, first of all, a, a very old friend of mine, a friend uh, in film and television and a friend in philanthropy, um, who answered the question. There was a question in the late 70s and the 80s. Would there ever be a hotter woman in imaginary television radio than Bailey on WKRP? And the answer is <laughs> yes! The answer was Roz Doyle, and uh, we adore her. So please say hello to Perry Gilpin. hi Hey, Stephen. Hello, Eric. Uh, hello. Can I introduce our second guest? Yes! Well, to echo the, would there ever be a hotter radio personality? Would there ever be a hotter, inarticulate cabbie <laughs> than... <laughs> Actually, our next yes. Guest. Yes. Yeah. Let's welcome the variegated and corrugated Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> Hurrah! <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. The audience I, goes bananas. I, I, I toast uh, you with my rosé. He's I drinking love, wine. That's fantastic. I love that you have a rosé. <laughs> well, um, I'm day drinking here. Let's. Uh, yes, uh, I let's was just... about to do the same. Let me just say, for just for the record, if. If a plane had crashed with all of us on it in the late 90s, what would the state of sitcom be? This is, <laughs> there's a lot of very important sitcom people in one room here. That's why we can't actually be in a restaurant. It's just, it's too dangerous to the history. What would the billing be, right? Isn't, um, that, isn't that the big joke? What would the um, obituary be? Well, I, I, I guess it would probably be Laverne and Shirley and Laverne and Shirley. We would just <laughs> be right. straight across. Perry Gilpin and others, yeah. Perry. <laughs> <laughs> and friends. I and friends. That. Perry Gilpin and friends. So the whole, when Stephen and I started talking about doing this, the whole idea was dinner with friends. But today, let's be honest, we're having lunch. We're having lunch in, in, our, separate, uh, in our separate abodes. Uh, first of all, I got to ask, because America wants to know, what are you eating? Me? Or all of us? Not you. I'm talking all to right. our guests. We'll get to you. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm eating grapes <laughs> and um, some of my homemade iced tea. Nice. <laughs> Just, it's, you know, trying to get the energy up. It's very fruity and light. I yes. like that. Now, what's, uh, Tony, what's going with the rosette? I'm, I'm having, um, I actually did uh, go pick this <laughs> up at a, I'm in New York, so I went to this little place around the corner, 
which I, I love. It's a, it's a Turkish restaurant called Lokal, L-O-K-A-L. And so it's, um, it's kind of like a arugula pear mm. salad, and I had a little salmon on the side, and it's yeah. got walnuts and um, gorgonzola, and it's really, really good. Well, thanks to Tony. We will have at least one sponsor for this episode. So thank you. Thank you for that shout Turkey. out. Turkey will sponsor that's, us. That's I, do have, I, do, I do have a small investment in that restaurant. Not, no. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, I, um, Stephen, what did you do? You told me what you ate. I mean, eating. the saddest uh, lunch is I'm having a banana <laughs> and almond butter, cinnamon almond butter. <laughs> because I'm apparently like a, Sexy. a, a tiny, skinny, ascetic little zen prissy little person <laughs> i have i have i have i have stumbled into what i think uh it was known as the the betty white diet apparently betty white loved eating white food like she <laughs> would have rice and mashed potatoes if, if it was white so all of my this is all like this is the saddest looking suburban summer plate but i've got potato salad and some cottage cheese and some turkey so well, that's weird because Alan Ludden's pubic hair was jet black. <laughs> <laughs> and weirdly, weirdly remained so up till his up till his death. They could never they could never explain it. <laughs> I didn't realize that was documented, but I'm glad that you knew that. So a question. Um, lunch. Or dinner. If you're going, if you were doing this in life, when when you do this in life, do you prefer a nice, smart lunch with a with a rosé and friends at some outdoor place, or is it saved for the end of the day? What's what's your preference? Well, for me, I would say um, dinner. I mean, I don't I don't discriminate. I would eat anytime, all the time, anywhere with anyone. Um, <laughs> sort of post theater dinner is really great. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah, COVID has put a little bit of a crimp in that, but but you know, going out either with friends, you know, from the show or or just people you go to the show with, you know, that's that's really good. You're you know you're imbibing and you're also kind of chewing over or picking apart the the play you just saw. It's all yeah. that's all good. What's your, what's your favorite like post? Theater. I remember there was a place further up north, uh, Cafe Luxembourg. I think it was oh, called. Oh God! That, like it's like a seventieth yeah, or something. Um, yeah, I always love seventy fourth in Amsterdam or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's seventy mm-hmm. or seventy first. Oh, it's God. still there. Yeah. yeah, oh, the best French French bistro. We used yeah. to have martinis. They had pickled yes. eggs, and they were never that they were never that busy late at night. It was just it was just this great little after theater thing to take people to. And, and the other one, the usually busier was was it uh, Cafe Undertois? Is that still there? Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, Andutois was is still going strong, and yeah. it was the God, place. I love that it was place. the place uh, we would always come in the last couple of plays I did. Yeah, we were right there. I did a play a few it years close. ago um, at the at the Belasco, which is on that side of Broadway. Oh, right, right. I, literally right next door to the theater. Yeah, so we were there at Andutois before the show and after the show, <laughs> and uh, you know matinee days. It was great. Perry, what about you? What do you what do you prefer? What meal? What meal is your favorite? It depends on the person, but also what Tony said is so true. After a play, after you've mm-hmm. seen something, especially if you're all together and you've all seen the same thing, the conversations that leads to are amazing. They're so fun. Yeah. That's the best. I, I love it too. 
I love it too. And I and I as I've gotten older, I'm not generally starving at eleven o'clock. But there's something about the theater doing it or watching it that everything all bets are off. The, you know, the time we we matter. walked into Orso one night in New York, and and uh, Stockard Channing was there with her partner Dan, and he had just proposed. And I think Matthew Broderick had just proposed to Sarah Jessica Parker. They were wow. both couples were there and that had just happened. And Stockard was like, oh, Dan proposes all the time. I'm never going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but Sarah Jessica Parker had said yes. And it was like everybody was sort of celebrating with them. And even though we didn't know them, but everyone just knew. And is that or is Orso still there? Oh, God, yes. It's it's right oh, that, next door to Joe Allen. That's yeah. right. And, and beneath Bar Centrale, right? Right above that. That's right, yeah. Bar Centrale. So that's. Those those three are our go to places. Yeah, that is six sponsors we've got now. Perfect. And it's like ten minutes. In. I love those places. Yeah, Bar Central. I get that. I was there. When was I there recently? Uh, we saw American Buffalo, mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne and and Sam Rockwell and Darren Chris. And uh, I went there afterwards, and I thought this is this is what I missed so much. Oh, yeah. I thought what I really missed during COVID was doing theater, but actually, I just as much missed watching it. <laughs> I really yeah. did, just sitting in the yeah. audience. Yeah. Um, and the drink afterwards. I mean, it is part afterwards. of a whole ritual. I mean, it's it's, a, it's so fantastic. And being out in L.A., you sort of miss the the community in a way. That- well, Steve, you said that the other night when we had dinner a few weeks ago. And, and uh, Steve said this thing. I've been thinking about it ever since, that we really are missing uh, uh, that artistic, that community here where we yeah. all get together. You wind up in your house with your life and... We don't do I, it maybe age and you know all that, but also it just doesn't have that same feel here in LA, you know. If it's any consolation at all, COVID was really uh, put a, a damper on all of that. You know, um, of course, shows were closed for a long, long time, but even when the shows came back, the COVID protocol was so strict that yeah. you know we went to see a, a good friend in a in a play in a musical company, which is amazing. I'm and to see that. they're right. not allowed to have people come backstage mm. because they're worried about um, you know. As it turned out, almost everyone in that cast at one point got COVID oh and had God. to be out a week or two. But so when we went to see our friend, we weren't able to go backstage, or even they weren't even allowed to go out and to a the few restaurants that were, you know, serving. And so we actually <clears throat> had to stand like, you know how they have those alleyways, you know, you go in a, a stage door, but before you actually get into the door, there's a kind of an alleyway there. Then we just sort of stood there in the cold, yeah. you know, with our parkas on, <laughs> four, six feet apart, talking, try, you know, singing this our friends' praises. And um, it's, I, I think that's, that's starting to loosen now, but... Uh, so I, I assume that was uh, Katrina Lenk that was that was your show? <laughs> Katrina, yeah. She's, yeah, who was in the band's yes. visit with you. So, so great. I think it needs to be called out that three of the four participants on today's program have been on the show Wings. Yes. That's right. And, that's right. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, we all were on, are members of the NBC family, aren't we? <laughs> NBC <laughs> must see TV. Must yes. see TV. So of course, uh, Tony and Steve uh, regulars on it, and then you you did a guest star or, or or a bit of a run 
uh, Perry? On, I on did wings? one. I did one episode, but it was the greatest episode because it was, it was all of the uh, characters were seeing who could have the worst date. Oh God! And I, I was Steve's date, and um, I was the worst. I won because I was horrible. <laughs> and, That's uh, right. And it was really, it was great. But my boyfriend at the time was Heather. Was also a, was a was Crystal's date. And Heather Lee was also in that episode. So my boyfriend and I were going to work as their two dates, and it was really fun. That is fantastic. I I got to L.A. in 93, and the first, I I knew no one, the first thing I did culturally was go to see a taping of Wings. (laughs) Wow. And I, I lined up the whole thing. So it's, that's my... That's my connection. <laughs> and who knew but, that 20 years later, I'd be begging you for money? <laughs> Isn't it funny it how life begging. works? You Sorry, asked nicely. I said, I think. That's show no, no, but yeah. I was doing it. <laughs> I, just, I did it again on the 30th year. <laughs> on the anniversary. Sad. of the first uh-huh. anniversary. Um, but I was, I was saying to Stephen earlier, that was the first. It was before Frasier, right? Because that was, when did you guys start? Well, I mean, Wings was 89 to 97. Then Frasier right. was what? Frasier was 90, 93. 93, yeah, right? Because I remember. Yeah, I remember watching the finale of Cheers in mm-hmm. Vancouver at a bar. And yeah. uh, and around that time, hearing the show was going to get spun off. And then Will and Grace wasn't until 98. So I'm just so much uh, younger and, and fresher than you <laughs> <That's> guys. <right. laughs> Definitely. Clearly, which is why I'm eating cottage cheese over here. Uh, <laughs> well, you but, gotta protect your teeth and your gums. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys. Obviously, we're gonna we're gonna talk about so much stuff in terms of what you have been doing. We've all moved into uh, film and other and, and single camera, but for a period of time, we the four of us were on a medium that is virtually now dead. <laughs> it's like no one's at the moment making for camera, but I. Loved it. I had so much fun. I miss it. Um, do, do you guys think about that? The form, obviously, the schedule was fantastic. But do you miss just doing a, a live show in front of a two hundred crazy fans every week? Oh, how I many people sure. were in those audiences? I always wonder how many people were in the stands. Was it two hundred or it was two fifty at Will and Gray's? It was. I think so. Okay, sorry, Tony. Tell say say. Didn't you love it? No, no. I I I don't know how many. People were in the stands. I think there for our in our show weren't there like eight or nine thousand. Stephen, it was a big place. We did it in arenas for a while. Yeah, we did a lot of open arenas. We opened we opened for Springsteen that one time. Yeah, right. uh, our taping that was, that was great. Fun. I loved having the live audience there because you know I was really hadn't done that much television. You know, I'd done a couple of episodic things, and I had done maybe some you know day player stuff on soaps when I was in lived in New York before L.A. But um, so it was a lot of stage and, you know, a lot of theater stuff. So going into this environment where there were cameras and live, you know, kind of fresh meat there, um, that was, it was a, it was a perfect kind of transition. Were you nervous when you started on that? I mean, because, okay, so oh. when you started on Wings, you had one or two, I want to say one, you did an episode where you were a waiter, right? Yeah, in an Italian restaurant. It right. was just one, a one-off. It was... Um, Noam Pit- Pitlick was the Noam yeah. Pitlick. Noam Pitlick. Noam. Yeah. God, and he, I have to say, God bless him. He, he you were there, Stephen. Yeah. He really gave me, he just handed me that character. Like, I mean, of course it was nicely written on the page, but he, he kind of gave me permission to really go for it. I mean, I'm talking like really like line readings and, you know, just bump it up, bump it up. And I, 
you know, it led to uh, it led to being a regular, and it was all yeah. all him. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize the character didn't start on the show. Yeah. No, he came in. I came in like was it like the end of season one or the middle of season two, something like that. Oh. Yeah. And uh, then I then they they brought me back for the next six years. That yeah. was well. Cool. That was the beauty of of that form in particular. All it takes is one week where somebody scores. Um, they're not waiting weeks and weeks to see how it looks when it's all cut together. You know, in front of an audience, if there's, mm-hmm. if there's a character. But That's right. he also scored with the producers and the writers who saw in him something, ah, you know, something to maybe change up the dynamic on Wings, which was as accessible as I guess it was, very white bread kind of a world, you know, uh-huh. Nantucket. And what what can we do to, to shake it up a little bit? And uh, and Tony came along. As, as, as Tim... Tim <laughs> Tim Daly always he he kind of nicknamed me Ethnos. Ethnos. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was kind of the all purpose, you know, like we need <laughs> oh, diversity, oh, throw Shalub in there. Yeah. Well I want to talk about that later too, because you can, <laughs> so you know, you, you can play a whole range of what, you know, like the white world perceives as ethnicity, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But now but Perry, so what was I mean, what had you been doing by the time we saw you on Wings? What had you been doing? Okay, so I went to network by myself for the role of that Crystal played on Wings. Oh, Do you remember this? Really? Oh, yeah. did I know this? Wow. Yeah, and and I so I went there and they and I remember I was with you and Tim and then the, oh your counterparts God. Cameron Thor and Kevin um, you Conroy. Know, Kev, Conroy. Yeah. Yeah. And and Rebecca and David, all those people were there. And I remember uh, I had I did I they they kept Sheila kept running out and saying, "You're doing too many faces. Stop doing faces. Don't do any faces." <laughs> and I and I was and I didn't know. And we kept running lines, and I was trying to do it without making faces, you know. But I didn't get it. And then the next day, I went in and um and and screen tested on the cheer set, and I was uh, trying to wipe down the bar and be you know be that character. But I had this great thing with Jeff Greenberg, the casting director. It was the first time I'd ever met yeah. him when I went in to read for it. And I, I, I said, okay, I have one question. Am, am I like a Rebecca? Am I like a, a Carla? Am I like a Diane? Like, what is she like? And he goes, just read. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I read. And he goes, okay, it's Spokane, not Spokane. And I have another question for you. And I go, what? And he goes, how much better can you look? <laughs> I wow! Go, I go well. That's why I asked that question because you know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's it's supposed to be. She's supposed to be like an immigrant's daughter who's running a diner and on a in Nanta, on a at a municipal airport. You know how? Who is it? And so he, I took my clothes into David Angel's office, and and Peter and David Lee and, and David Angel all figured out what I would wear to to for this you know screen test. And oh my gosh, it was such a thing. But Brandon Tartikoff really wanted Crystal Bernard and I I don't blame him. I she was great. But it was I, I wow. became friendly with them during that time. Yeah. And I would never forget David Angel. I had these red shoes to wear with my jeans and he goes, Did you get those at the Vatican? <laughs> <laughs> David Angel. For those who don't yeah. know, David Angel was one of the creators of Wings and, and he worked on Cheers obviously and he Frazier. Uh, very yeah. sadly lost his life, he and his wife, in nine eleven. You know, yeah. uh, he was uh, Oh god, that's right. So he's But it, he but his Trudeau's brother name. was like the Archbishop of Connecticut or that's you know, right. it was like a really you know, so <laughs> he had ties to the Vatican. He did. He knew, he knew where I got my shoes. Uh-huh, now, I, I just heard, so my my uh, assistant, Michelle, who knows everything, just told me that the, that Roz Doyle yeah. was the name of an executive producer on Wings. Yes. Correct. 
Is that, that is, I love that. And yeah. she had passed away. Right. From, oh. But when I went to do that screen test, I got there really early in the morning and she was walking around in the parking lot and she said, you know, are you Perry Gilpin? And I said, yes, she was English. I'm not even going to try to do an accent, but she, she, she goes, I knew you'd be here early. And she took me in and she, she made, she told them what to do with my makeup and hair. And they, she really, you know, fought for me to get that role. Mm. So later when, you know, they named her that because she had passed away and was sort of, uh, as oh, a, man. as a, you know, tribute to her. Yeah. And so Maggie Rand, Maggie Randall had this mustard colored jacket on at one of our photo shoots and I said, can I wear that? It would look so cute with my outfit. And she goes, yeah, 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 take it. And so I wore it. You know, when I gave it back, she goes, that was Roz's. And, and, I, and oh it's my like, God. I know, I know. Oh, wow. The whole experience that you were just relating was kind of beautiful. You got a lot of help from everybody. I did. Yeah. I did. And it, did, it, it didn't happen there, but right. it happened later, you know. And, 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 then, and, then, and that kind of carried on even after me with Lisa going to friends. You know, it was just sort of like everybody wound up where they were supposed to. And yeah. it never, you don't think it ever happens that way, but it does, I, you know. I wonder if people really, really um, get that, that, you know, this whole idea that, you know, these things, it's like I was talking about Norm, you know, whoever before, you know, it's like, it's like almost like a village. It actually takes all of these different people and angels and components yeah. uh, and circumstances and support in order for any of this stuff to actually move forward. It, yeah, I, I hear it again and again, and it, I just I hope people, you know, uh, appreciate that, and, and especially people starting out, that it's important to kind of have that base under you and these different people coming into it all for you. Uh, yeah, I, I get really nostalgic when I hear the phrase "going to network." Oh yeah, it was <laughs> yeah, when we were yeah. young, and that's I don't even know if it's all if it's done the same way. Probably uh, post COVID, it's all on tape, but you would whether it be a sitcom or a drama, you would be going in and you'd see your competition and you knew it wasn't just anybody. These were the ones that would come down. And you'd the crazy part of going to network was you'd already negotiated the show. Right. You'd already negotiated as if you were about to get the role and you were committed for seven years. And so was the guy across the room and you were staring each other down. You had no idea. And you, then you had to go into a room, as you were saying, Barry, you were like fewer faces. <laughs> you, you had to perform in front of 20 people often like it was a stage play, but More you knew sometimes. it wasn't. Yeah, and so you, do I go big? Do I pull faces? Do I go subtle? And then they think I'm dull. It was a constant, and I, I actually went, I didn't go to network. I went to studio uh, on Friends and uh, for, for Ross, and I told Jim wow. Burroughs that. Uh, wow. Yeah, I told, when we were that, doing Eric. the first season of Will Grace, I said to Jim, you know, I... Uh, <clears throat> I came pretty close on Russ, and he said, "Oh, honey, they wrote the part for Schwimmer. You were wasting your time." <laughs> <laughs> so. But what was your what was your experience like on, on what was the journey to get Will? What was that like? Who and can you name who you were up against? You know, in a way that doesn't shame them. No, no, it doesn't shame anybody. Or wish, um, or make everybody else wish that they'd gotten it. In fact, Tony, you'll love this. Uh, it took me, I think, it was seven auditions before I finally went to network. Uh, for, for Will and Grace, there was one of each of us. They weren't going with a bunch of couples. I went to network with Marin Hinkle. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. Your That's your, unbelievable. Your, wow. your TV wife uh, for Maisel. Yes. And, uh, and she was she was great, but we just, uh, we kind of walked out of there thinking it's all or nothing. I, I, we either got that or we didn't. And in the end, uh, it, it, it 
wasn't as you're saying, Perry. Everything for a reason. Everybody gets the the the, the job eventually. Um, but it was a that was very strange because it was just the two of us. And then I went with Nicolette Sheridan. So um, the final audition was at Jimmy Burrow's house. Uh, I had the part. Sketchy. I had the part for about a month. <laughs> well, it was a, it was a Sunday morning. All of the I don't network. Feel safe. <laughs> all of the network were there in their in their Sunday civvies, and we saw Nicolette Sheridan. Another girl whose name I can't remember, <laughs> and Deborah Messing. And we're talking about the legendary James Burroughs. Oh, yes, indeed, God. who directed every single episode of the show. Um, and he directed, how many, he directed the first few seasons of Frasier, right? Yeah, uh, well, not all of them, but a lot of them. And we begged him, begged him, yeah. begged him to stay. And he went to you guys. He left us. Another story I was telling the other day, knowing that we were going to do this, uh, I was at something in Toronto, and they and they showed a, a clip of some stuff I'd done, and they showed the Emmy, the moment I won the Emmy, which was a, a moment in time, because up till that moment, it had always been Kelsey, and from then on, every year after that, it would always be Tony. I mean, it was Monk every for three, four years in a row, I think. We just sort of knew. So it was my one little moment to shine. But I they showed the clip. It was um, Kim Cattrall presented to me, and... I got up on stage, and of course, they cut to the people in the audience uh, responding. And I, and I, after they showed that clip, I said to the audience in Toronto, I said, it's just, it's so, I haven't seen that clip in so long, and it's just so nice to see the expression on Kelsey Grammer's face. <laughs> um, <laughs> well done, well done, yes, well done. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, so, I mean... That's another show. I'm just thinking about shows that we've done together in, inadvertently, one way or the other. I, I guest starred on the 100th episode of Monk. Mm, that's right. You remember that? That's right. I remember. That was so fun. And Weber also did a, an yeah. episode. Yeah, must have. And also did an episode with us of uh, Stark Raving Meta, a fun, oh, short-lived, yeah. uh, one-year thing. But. Yeah, Stark oh, right. Raving Meta. That was a Steve Jimmy, Levitan Jim, show. Jimmy Burroughs also directed the pilot of that, too. Right. It's very few pilots Jimmy did not direct. <laughs> very few. It's, it's pretty amazing. But here's the crazy, here's more amazing. I got a, because I was on the 100th episode of Monk, I was given the crew gift that everybody got, which was a brown, very soft uh, robe. I still wear it to this day. I was wearing it this morning. Was it, it was brown like, when you got it? It? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was an off white, <clears throat> but it's well worn. Oh, um, that was such. That was such a great show. That was such a great fit for you, oh, and such a yeah, great run. That's a, that's a good run. But hard, I, mean, I remember just that week so thinking funny. that's that's a that's it was a tough one for you too. It was it was you were in virtually every scene, and um, that was a lot of work. Those were long days. Yeah, I'm not sure if if you know at this stage and age, I, I would be able to pull off those, you know, those kind of hours and stuff. But it was a. It was great. I, I was always kind of the first one there and the last one out, but also because I was, um, they let me be a producer on the show. Mm. So that meant I was in casting sessions. I was in the editing room uh, quite when I wasn't shooting. So it was, um, it was, it was great. I, I was a very fortunate that I lived so close to the studio. Of course, I was late every day. <laughs> <laughs> it was. But um, that's pathetic, Tony. Well, one one red light, and you're you know you, you you're, you're it. done. That's yeah. true. Off. Perry, I mean, wasn't it amazing working at the Paramount lot? I mean, the Paramount lot 
is legendary, obviously. But to be there, to actually drive in every day, it never got old. As, as, never. as relaxed as we could become. One of my great memories was listening to The Kid Stays in the Picture, like on, you know, on, oh, yeah. on a video, uh, you know, an audible book, yeah. right. driving onto the lot. And they, of course, as they did every day, asked if I was cast or crew. I, I did <laughs> three different series at Paramount. And the Lubitsch building, you know, is off to your right. And, you know, Robert Evans is reading his own book. And you're just, it's just like, you're just oh. in the middle of it all. And it couldn't be more exciting. And, and the, the ghosts and uh, that, yeah. that must have been at that place. And um, uh, there, was, there was a guy that was there that was a producer named A.C. Lyles. And A.C. Yeah. Lyles yes. was yes. this very dapper, tall, thin, he almost looked like Stuart Granger, you know, kind of a handsome, yeah. but the older, he must have been 80s, early 90s. And he was, um, I guess he was a friend of whoever ran the studio, I want to say in the 50s or 40s, something like that. And so he became the... The studio, I guess, ambassador, and he drove this gorgeous um, classic Thunderbird car, right, or something like that. And and it was full. The place had all the kind of um, remnants of the the past decades that were there. The buildings and the names and Lucy, uh, the the Lucille Ball Park that people would take yeah. their kids to in daycare and. And um, I'm trying to think what else. And, you know, and alleyways that you've seen in films. and I used to love to walk around the studio uh, and just uh, on every soundstage there was a plaque right. Right by the yeah. door that had all of the movies that were shot or TV shows yeah. that were shot on that soundstage. It was, it was just kind of just gave you goosebumps, really. Yeah. I did this one show there called Buck and Barry. I think it was called in the end or in the loop. I don't know if they ever even titled it, but um, we were all on the set and they came over and, and Danny Davis was in this and David Keith and this crazy cast, Bill Nunn. And uh, they came and got, we were on the set next to Wings. On yeah, that I remember it. Remember that? Okay. Yeah. So it, and so they came and got us and said, New York Street is opening back up and they're having a big celebration. We need all the actors over on this dais. So, you know, no one, but we're, I'm sitting between Janet Lee and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> and oh Roddy God. McDowell is on, is, and, and oh Gary Marshall God. stands there and just starts talking for like two hours. He dedicates New York Street. <laughs> I guess it had burned. Bob Hope was there. Like all, we were on this tiny little Crazy. thing with all of these oh amazing God. people. It was so great. In so many cool. ways, we caught the tail end of, of yeah. what, you know, of, I guess, the classic or established Hollywood way of doing things. And it, it really changed virtually overnight, I got to say. <laughs> you know, the, with yeah. the advent of technology and the, the new way of doing things and streaming and whatever just really shifted. Well, I, I can tell you, uh, it's interesting you say that. I can tell you because when I was doing Monk, uh, it was it was from um, like, uh, you know, uh, 2000, um, 2001 to 2009. And so I, in my, in my dressing room or my trailer, I was always sent uh, VHS of the dailies and of the casting sessions. So by VHS. the end of a few seasons, I had, by the end of a couple of seasons, I had, stacks and stacks of VHS tapes in there. Mm. Then, uh, then all this, then the next year I came in while well, we was getting discs of the dailies and, you know, DVDs of the, of the 
casting sessions. And then by year six or seven, we were watching auditions on an iPod, you know, in the (laughs) van on the way to the set. And it it, it was all in just in those seven or eight years that it transitioned. I still have a ton of VHS tapes from a show I did in the 90s called Lonesome Dove. And it was, and I don't know why I still have them. I'm never going to watch them. I wouldn't have something to watch them on. I have those Uh, too, of, of Lonesome Dove. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> Part of me thinks that, uh, at least uh, I thought that, so I'm, I'm extrapolating that we all think that one day there's going to be a museum dedicated to yes. us. And, <laughs> or in a local town, you know, I've Briarwood, got, Queens. I've got everything. I've got everything. Yes. <laughs> show, show, like the backs of chairs that we sat in. Yeah. yeah. I got yeah, those. Useless. Gar- <laughs> crap that is not going to get, that will not even sell at an estate no. sale. Exactly. My wife keeps saying, no one, there's no museum. There's nothing. Throw this. It's just boxes and boxes of shit. Um, I'm a tour guide at the Eric McCormick Museum. (laughs) (laughs) Hours on. Noon to two. I got news for you. I'll I'll be the uh, tour guide at the Eric McCormick (laughs) Museum. (laughs) In a basement that I rent. You know, at the end of Frasier was like the last show shot on film at Paramount. Is that oh, right? Come wow. on. Yeah, and they kept it. Everybody else was had gone digital as the shows had ended and new shows started. And so my makeup artist, who I love so much, Bruce Hutchinson, was he was like, "Well, you know, you're going to be out in the world, and they're going to be doing makeup for HD, and you know, you'll be oh. elderly, and it's going to be a nightmare." And it all came to pass. <laughs> it's right. It it's horrible. Yeah. Like HD human beings don't even see that clearly. Why do no, we not exactly. have that on? <laughs> right. Can you talk about briefly about John Mahoney? Oh God, yeah. What? Um, yeah. Nobody is like that, you know. Just he's so funny. My favorite story was he and Jane were always quitting smoking, always, <laughs> and and so he he'd gotten a, a a full tank of gas, and they'd given him a lighter with his full tank of gas, like a big lighter, right? So a couple of weeks later, he and Jane decide to quit smoking, and so he gifted me the lighter that he'd gotten with the full tank of gas, like a big lighter, because, you know, he wouldn't need it anymore, and he, he didn't want it to go to waste. He wouldn't throw it away or anything because he knew a smoker. So, I mean, he was just like that, so spare, just yeah. appreciated everything, and was it was all here and in his heart, and, he, and so funny. And so sensitive, funny. you know, sensitive. He... He would be easily uh, offended and and talk about it and then get over it, you know. Mm. But he he noticed everything, you know. Huh. I mean, he's a theater legend. Had he done oh had he done um, four camera at that point? Had he done? Yeah, because okay, and I was on the lot when this happened. You guys will remember this. He, there, uh, Ronnie Graham was oh, supposed God. to play this agent on Cheers. Ronnie Graham, Kirstie Alley's character, had hired to do a, a jingle for Cheers. So this writer writes, you know, everybody just go to the bar, C-H-E-E-R-S, like he writes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ronnie Graham got to do it, but he kept faking that he was sick, or fa- and he finally faked a heart attack in the parking lot. And my Cam, my friend Cam Watson, was playing the young agent who had hired Ronnie Graham, right? So Cam comes over to the set of, I think, I don't know, in I don't know where what set I was on, but he goes, "We're not going to do the Cheers episode because Ronnie Graham had a heart attack in the in the parking oh, lot." But he man. didn't; he faked it. Why? Because he was what? had stage fright. He was scared to death to oh try to do it. God. So when they recast it and redid it a few weeks later, 
they hired John Mahoney to play that character and he because of House of Blue Leaves. So he yeah. gets there to play it. He gets there to rehearse it. And he sits at the piano and he goes, you guys didn't think I really played the piano, did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, got wow. a, I got a Tony for that role. You know, so then, you know, so he wound up playing that. And that's when David Lee and Peter Casey and David Angel fell in love with them and wanted him to play Fraser's dad and went to Chicago and asked him to do it. Wow. So that's wow. how that came to be. I, I don't know that there's anything more fun than... On, being on stage and n- pretending to play an instrument uh, <laughs> night after night. You know what I mean? Because I, I love it. I, I did it in Three Sisters once and I looked like a virtuoso. And when afterwards, if friends would come, I, they'd say, why was that? I said, lift that piano. It was a baby grand piano that you could lift with one hand. <laughs> Such a fake. Did you play Tusenbach? Yeah. That, yeah, of course. Yeah, I okay. love that. But now uh, our, our, our friend and your, your compatriot, uh, Sean, Hayes. Okay, so uh, I got to talk about this for a second. Um, Sean Hayes. I went to Chicago. I surprised yeah. him. He did um, an original musical about um, Oscar, Oscar Levant. Levant. Yes, Levant. I, not a musical though. Not a musical. A not a musical. Yeah. No, uh, a, a ninety-minute one, virtually one act about this very complicated, very funny, damaged, uh, brilliant piano player in the in the fifties and sixties. And Sean is first of all brilliant in it. It, it will go to Broadway, I'm sure. We interrupt this episode to bring you news about Sean Hayes in Goodnight Oscar. Since recording this episode, the show has, in fact, transferred to Broadway. And you can see him right now in that show right now at the Belasco Theater. Tickets are available through goodnightoscar.com. Not only that, but very shortly, I will be his neighbor on 44th Street. He's at the Belasco. I will be down the street at the Hayes Theater in a new production of The Cottage, directed by Jason Alexander. Let's return to our regularly scheduled podcast. At the end of the play, he sits down as he, as the character had done on the Jack Parr show and plays all of Rhapsody in Blue. Unbelievable. And, unbelievable. And Sean really does it because he can, because he's unbelievable on the oh piano. Oh my God. And I'm, it, I'm reading the, the Oscar <clears throat> Levant uh, totally coincidentally because I heard yeah. about uh, that later about Sean. But Memoirs I'm of an Amnesiac? This. I, no, it's called uh, Talent for Genius. It, oh. it, it's, it's a few years old. It is a fascinating guy, yeah. character, he was great. and a brilliant, he was brilliant great. wit. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead. But, I'm but, sorry to interrupt. But. Well, no, no, not at all. It's just that when the show, when the lights came up, and I, as you were saying before, Tony, we couldn't go backstage because it's still the COVID protocol, so I had to wait for him in some... But I could hear the audience saying how realistic it looked when he played the piano. They were assuming it was fake. Oh, God. Uh, and I thought, how did I get credit all those years ago for looking like I really was when Sean is blowing people's minds? He's really they, playing. They think, yeah, he's really playing. That's, yeah. People's anyway, sense of reality has become incredibly warped in this this day and age. So uh, but, but yeah, Oscar Levant, um, that book, he, he also wrote a, bu- a book, an autobiography called, um, I just said it, uh, Memoirs of an Amnesiac. Yeah. Superb, hilarious. He's so messed up. He's the he's the he was a wit and had was known for his great lines. One of his classic lines was, "I knew Doris Day before she became a virgin." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that made it into the play. Actually, that's funny. I saw Uh, Perry Gilpin do a performance of a play called um, uh, "As Bees and Honey Drown," right? Yeah, yeah. And you, she was so brilliant. 
And you just said like, ah, oh, I can't even, I can't even do an accent. She did this spot on English accent, played this woman. <laughs> that was so uh, kind of shocking because, you know, people get to know you from your TV show. People get to know Eric from his TV show. People right. get to know Tony. They think he's, a, you know, a, a neurotic mess. He is kind of, but not nearly as bad. A little, a little bit. You know, they think, they think, <laughs> but what were people's responses to you? Because you were not playing Roz anymore. You were something well, else. There was a, an interesting response, but the story of that play was that we went to see John. Um, John Mahoney was doing the, uh, had talked Jimmy Burroughs into directing The Man Who Came to Dinner. The I, man do, who came I out had did not right. know that play and this. he was, did it at Steppenwolf, right? And mm. um, right. so, and John had, John had been talking about it and I didn't know the play and I was cooking dinner and I list, I heard the movie came on, TMC or something. Yeah. And it's like Monty Betty Woolley. Davis, you know, and Monty Woolley. Yeah. And I call John right then and I go, John, okay, who do I have to, you know, to play this part? You know, and he, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Harriet Harris is playing it. It's already done. And I go, oh, God, it's so good. I can't wait to see this. So then a couple of weeks later, he goes, Perry, we're, they're having a hard time finding the actress role. But, you know, I think Gene Smart wound up doing it on Broadway. But they're having a hard time finding that role. And you could read for it, but there's also a Steppenwolf actress that's up for it. And she will, you know, they'll want to hire the Steppenwolf actress. But you have to read for it. So I didn't want to read for Jimmy Burroughs. I was too, this is the, the lesson, you know. Just do it, learn it and do it and go audition. Uh -huh. But I, I was afraid I would be, feel weird auditioning for Jimmy. I'd mm. worked for him for years. You know what I mean? I, I, I was worried yeah. about it. So I didn't do it. Go to see it. Christian and I, you know, we're, I'm pacing around the hotel room. It was so good. I saw opening night. I'm like, why didn't I go for it? Why didn't I try? Why? I'm an idiot. And I fly home to LA and the script is on my mailbox. And I take it inside. I start reading it. I can't even read it silently. I'm reading it out loud. And it's to go to New York to do it off-Broadway at the Lucille Hotel. So I'm going to go audition for it, right? And if I get it, I'm staying eight weeks and finishing up this run. Or if I don't get it, you know, whatever. Fuck off. So I go and audition for it. I get it. And no one calls to tell me. Finally, Mark Brokaw called me the next, like eight hours later and said, did anyone ever call you? Because we'd like for you to do this play. And I'm like, I'm laying in the dark in New York, like in a fetal position, oh, hope, no. wondering, you know. So then it turns, I go to the play to, and it turns out I'm, I'm actually, I am replacing someone who doesn't know they're being replaced. A Tony uh. Award winning actress who's brilliant. And, um, and so that was so awkward and weird. And I don't know why it was like that. So I learned the whole thing in two weeks. It's impossible. It's that it had more lines than King Lear, the stage director told me. Oh my God. So crazy. And then we do it and we get shut down during the first week. They close us, which I didn't even know that could happen. And we had a lot of tickets sold. Why? You know? I've heard different stories, but I think someone very, very, very important wanted that theater. Her name's Stella Adler. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh her. wow. So, yeah. so, so I think that's what I've heard. So then I came back and then Sheldon. Sheldon Epps. Yes, who directed many Frasers, uh, said, you want to come do it there? And I did. So I did it. And and the thing is, is it wasn't the same experience at all because the Lucille Hotel was this tiny black box and it mm -hmm. was very intimate and people were moving boxes around, you know, and, and then Roy Christopher did our set at the Pasadena mm. Playhouse and it was a much different show and I never felt like I got a real handle on it 
But thank you for saying that, Steve Weber. That is oh, the nicest, nicest thing. I, ah, one woman I did over great. here say, "Gosh, she's 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 so much more graceful than I thought." <laughs> <laughs> she's such a clumsy ox on the yeah, television. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I actually, when I when we finished uh, Will and Grace, uh, like in, in season eight, two thousand six, the first thing I did was a play at the Lortel. It was a it was a, a Neil LeBute play. Uh, it, it was. Um, Judy Reyes, Brooke Smith, Maura Tierney, and a friend Drescher, uh, who oh, went on wow. to be your TV wife, Stephen, if not that many years ago. Um, yeah, so I, I, lo- I do love that little theater right on, right in Soho. Yeah, it is a great one. It's a, a Neil LeBute show, so I'm playing an asshole. And, but, but within that first 10 minutes the, of the scene with, with, uh, with Brooke... You could sense the, the percentage of the audience that were there to see Will. <laughs> the life was draining out of them, and they were not happy anymore. And there was this one matinee, this, this old couple in the front row were muttering the whole time. And finally, at the end of the show, Maura leaves the stage. I'm alone for about a minute before the lights go down. And I heard the old guy turn to his wife and say, Well, the women were terrific. <laughs> oh. Probably my, my favorite my favorite review of all time. No, <laughs> the women were he terrific. Wasn't, he wasn't wrong. Well, the women were terrific. Yeah, the women were terrific. Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Uh, so, guessing we all started in theater, even if it was high school. What what was that? What was that moment, uh, particularly theatrically, for each of you? What was was it? A teacher, a director? What was the play? What was that moment? Tony. No, oh, boy. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I really, I think I really think it's like a a number of moments. You mean talking about when we were kids, or whatever that moment was where you were like, it was no longer fun games. It was I'm I'm an actor, and I'm gonna I'm doing this. What's today? Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Really, there wasn't that sort of that just. Oh my God! The the the. Seas parted and the sky opened up and you went, there's no other way for me. I have to do this. Yeah. I was in college in Portland, Maine, and I was, which uh, was just a university of Maine, which happened to have a really great theater department. And I was doing a lot of uh, plays there. And uh, I, uh, there was a little uh, theater in town and it was a, it was kind of a semi-professional theater. It was a I think some of the people were equity and uh, some not. Uh, Marianne Plunkett uh, was there then, and all these great people. And um, anyway, I I was because I was uh, you know a senior in, uh, in college. I could uh, was allowed to do my work study by running, getting props or doing whatever at this little thing. And I would have done anything for these, the theater, because we used to go see plays for student prices. And these people were just so amazing. Everybody in this theater was just, it was like a little company. And um, we were always knocked out. They were doing such great work. Anyway, so I was, I got my foot in the door and I was just like, you know, running lights for a show and uh, doing uh, props or running for things. And, uh, they gave me, they let me audition for a little part. And it was actually streetcar. <laughs> they were doing a little streetcar. And uh, the, it's like the, the newspaper kid comes in or, you know, the evening star. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. The, yeah. It's like, the newspaper boy. 
two lines and he there's Blanche and he comes and and she, there's this whole thing about it her you know sort of flirting with him and uh, I I I was just so thrilled to be able to I this I literally was um, running lights for the show and I was be up in the booth that was with those old big light boxes <laughs> right and uh, I. For my scene, I would set the lights, and for my scene, I would run down out of this booth, enter, do my little scene, run back up to the light booth, and that was it. Huh. And uh, but it was uh, it was just that one little moment on stage, got a little a bit of a laugh with uh, you know he she says um, something, and I say oh it's the paper or so some little clever little line, and. Um, I, I think it was, I was, I was like, oh my God, I'm a, I'm like doing this with the people who really do it. Not just in an yeah. academic, uh, you know, in setting. I think that was it. I think that was where I really kind of felt like it was possible. I, I love, I, everyone's got something. I want to hear, I want to hear Perry's, uh, but I do, these are my favorite things. How, how that, that clock turned over and started again, the sort of the BC and the AD of, of our, of our lives as actors. Perry, what was it for you? Well, there were, as Tony said, there were a couple of moments. There was a, a time when I was a kid when we, I was in an acting class in about the fifth grade at the Dallas Theater Center, which I just loved that theater. It was the only theater ever designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And they put the grid in backwards, <laughs> which was always a problem for the main stage. But <laughs> Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> yeah. Grid got, hung wrong. Yeah, grid hung wrong. <laughs> but the, but the, the, the classes I took were amazing. And we wrote our own play and we were like household gods. Wow. And I was Brutabeth. I was the really, I was the mean one. You know, I was the brutabeth, and the other one was very nice. And I got all these laughs. And every time I said anything, I got a <clears> laugh. <throat> and I was about nine years old, and I just dug it. You know, I just loved it. I felt like I was connecting, you know. But then the second time when I, I was at a lot older, and I was, my, I was an apprentice at the Williamstown Theater Festival. Mm -hmm. And the way that came about was because of a, a guy that my mom dated that lived in Williamstown. And he came to visit and he goes, why aren't you there? And I went, you know what? You're right. That's what I need to go do. So I, um, because I had been a makeup artist in a movie already, they got wind of that and they, they, they put me with Blythe Danner. I was mm. her dresser. Oh my. And it was I a show know. with like, you know, Diane Weist. And, I mean, it was an amazing cast. And so I, I had a, her wig stand and I had a coffee maker and I had a fan. And I, you know, I, I thought it was like a, and she goes, you really are a movie girl, aren't you? Hmm. And I was just trying to, you know, do what I'd been taught to do. So she became, she was so great and so kind to me. And it was so amazing to watch her work. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I was doing a project and, and she, she said, I heard you were doing a project because that's what we called our little plays that we do after, you know, at midnight somewhere in a church basement or something. And uh, she goes, I'd really like to come. And I, I said, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I could, I couldn't believe it. And she came and I, she didn't say a word and everyone was so excited that she'd come. And then the next day, you know, I'm doing her wig and getting her, you know, helping her get ready. She didn't need a lot of help. She was, she's a real pro. But she uh, she said, I really like what you did. I think a couple of times you moved when you didn't need to move. You were just moving because someone told you to do it. Fight that. Use your instincts a little more, oh. but really great work. And I, I you know, I was going yeah. to Hollywood after that. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. <laughs> You know, she yeah. she played she played my mom on Will and Grace, and then eventually oh, yes, Stephen played my brother. So Blythe has been That's father, right. I've been mother to both uh, Stephen and I. 
Oh my That's God! Right. Isn't she the best? She's the best. She's yeah, the, I, I I had arguably the best television parent. My my parents, Will, Will's parents, were uh, were Blythe Danner and Sydney Pollack. Uh, which Stop. was a pretty, Come yeah, on. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. And their scenes together, because Sydney's character was cheating all the time, and uh, and uh, Blythe was supposed to be so waspy and so above it. Their scenes together were hysterical. Oh God, yeah, they were hilarious. Yeah, they were so good. Stephen, what was yours? You've probably told me, but I can't remember the, yeah. that that. Or one of the many moments that Stephen Weber blossomed. <laughs> I mean, my, the first the first shot, uh, you know, in the arm I got was uh, I think probably in the third grade doing a um, a production of When the Where the Wild Things Are, mm-hmm. and I, and I mm-hmm. had the supporting role of dragon, and uh, <laughs> but I started uh, ad libbing profusely and getting laughs, laughs and. and <laughs> And even at the end, when the, we were about to take a bow and nobody applauded, I went cut like that, and the audience <laughs> howled. And I thought oh, that was it. It was like a, that. That's when I got that kind of comedy drug. You were um, drunk with power. Yeah, um, and yeah, and, and years later, I, I, um, I guess in I want to say in junior high school, I. Uh, I, I took a, I guess there was a little acting class and, and I always, I'm still to this day trying to track down this teacher. His name is Irwin Danies. <laughs> and he really kind of codified and structured the whole idea of what it is to, you know, be an actor. And we did these little improvs and little games and, and it was the first time it had been, it had been presented to me in that way. And then, um, uh, and then later on, um, obviously, I went to I went to the high school of performing arts, and and so that's when it was right. starting to I uh, started to take myself seriously within it. I mean, I, there were many endless lessons to learn about taking oneself seriously in such a, a profession that I had yet to learn. But uh, I, oddly enough, I I, I got really um, turned on. By my English teacher in uh, high school performing arts, careful, who careful. we were reading, um, we were reading Macbeth, and at the same time he was playing a record of Anthony Quayle as oh, Macbeth. God, and you know I had never read Shakespeare or really understood it. I probably saw Romeo, uh, Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet when I was a kid, and I was scared because they were in the tomb and the crypt, and it was all I, I didn't know what the hell anyone was saying, and. Um, and this English teacher, Mr. Bronstein, kind of opened my head up about Shakespeare and everybody in that class. So the joke is that I have, I have those experiences maybe every five years or so when I realize yeah. how little I know and how <laughs> m- much more I need to find out. I mean, my, uh, I, I really want to find and re- reclaim that moment of joy, that, that moment of discovery that, that everybody's describing because... Uh, I mean, uh, it, it, our, our profession can be a little boring sometimes, especially doing TV, especially you know, there's a lot of waiting around. There's a lot of yeah. kind of yeah. uh, waiting, waiting, yeah. waiting. And uh, yes, it's great. A lot of gratitude, but man, so I, I want to, and, and I question, am I Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think that's what, that's, I, what Tony was sort of referring to was, well, how do I pinpoint one when you're kind of always sort yeah. of rediscovering, yeah. uh, hopefully getting better. 
but rediscovering the joy part of it and the fear. I, I, I get worried on a series in particular when I'm not afraid anymore. Uh, then, yeah. then I'm, then I'm, it's too commonplace. And I'm when not, you get, com- when you get com- comfortable, then you got to, you got to start to worry. Sure. I, I think a lot of that too has what you're to piggyback on what you're saying. I think what happens for me anyway, is that, you know, you kind of think, well, okay, now I'm, I'm sort of in a good zone. I'm, but then you go see someone, you go mm. see some a play or maybe it's a movie or maybe it's something streaming or it doesn't matter. And, and you see some, you know, someone, it could be a young person, could be a veteran, and you go, holy, holy shit, what, mm-hmm. what happened here? Because I've, I'll give you a quick example. I Just a night or two ago, I was invited to a screening of a new show, The Old Man. It's uh, Jeff Bridges. It's, it's Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges yeah. and, and, and I was invited because I'm a friend of Amy Brenneman's and, and, and Lithgow is in it. And so they're just showing, it's just a little screening at MoMA, and it's um, the first episode. And i uh, got to tell you, <laughs> so watching Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow, when you, just when you think they can't possibly raise the bar, huh. they, wow. they're like going 14 levels up. It was it really inspiring. And then I think, well, oh my God, there's still a vast amount of room to grow and to try stuff and to... Pair down. I mean, watching John Lithgow in this thing is kind of like watching a dog on stage, you know, where they're not doing anything really, <laughs> but you, you, you can't know, take your eyes just, off them. They're being whatever they're being, and yeah. you cannot look away. Mm, it's, it's, wow. It, it's fascinating. Also, it's just brilliant writing and brilliant, uh, you know, production. Anyway, um, so I think that's what does it for me. It's just like, just when I feel like, Okay, maybe it's time to really hang up the ice skates here. I, and I just think, well, no, there's there's more. There's there's got there's there's going to be more. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping. And sometimes the flip side. I mean, you were alluding to that that it's it's not about hanging up the ice skates, but th- rather thinking I've got all the answers. That's the mistake. Is I I got this now. I'm yeah. practically a hundred. Yeah. I I know what I'm doing. And then I remember seeing this has got to be ten years ago or more, um, at the Amundsen in, in, in L.A., a production of Cherry Orchard. A lovely cast, everybody was being lovely, and then Alfred Molina walked on stage, our dear friend Alfred, and suddenly it was like, oh, now everybody seems like they're acting, and he just seems like <laughs> yeah. the most... He, yeah. He's making Chekhov sound like he's just making it up, and it's, I saw it's that. just... Yeah, it's riveting, and it's like, oh my God. And everyone, like I say, was good, and that bending was good, but there's just something about someone walking on stage that is the next level. You just go, yeah, I don't know everything. I have got, I have got to aim for that. I, I just did this thing where I got to play. It's for this anthology series that... I got to play like a Roger Ailes character, like this woman that owns something like Roger Ailes company and also has fired her best hosts and she's doing it all herself, you know, and it was just so even no matter what, I loved the script so much because I got to say some things I, I wanted, have wanted to say. And that was just a whole new experience, you know, and it was really great. And it, we, it was on the fly and we had to, we did a lot of strange things and we just did it, you know, and it was fun. Mm-hmm. So that made me excited again, the way you guys are talking about whatever's around the corner, you know, and I, and I have memories of all of you. I, I have memory of you, Tony, 
sitting by a flower cart. <laughs> and I it was, I think it might've been, did you do Fraser and did you, were you sitting next to a flower cart? I was like a newspaper guy. Okay. Maybe it was a newspaper. <laughs> okay. It was like, like a newsstand. East, news East Indian newsstand, which I, by the way, I couldn't do today. I mean, they wouldn't let me do that. Ethnos. That, you, that would be your ethnos. <laughs> but it, yes. but it's like, I remember you, I remember the moment of, uh, oh my gosh, look what he's doing, you know? And I've seen Steven, I've seen you do that mm. on. Yeah. You know, Stephen and Eric, you guys have to play your numbers from the first year of Lay Girls at some point during mm. the show because they were so amazing. And um, I don't know if anyone knows you guys can do that. We should talk I mean, about I, that. I know uh, people do, but I don't know if they've ever seen per you. Perry produced, you. for the audience that doesn't know, Perry produced uh, with several other incredible women uh, year after year after year a show called Lay Girls, which our friend Spencer Garrett was always seeing the opening <laughs> number of. Um, but it, it was just a night to raise money for uh, for breast cancer. National Breast Care was, Coalition, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. We, every year she'd come to us and, and uh, Jason Alexander, it was, and people would just say yes, because all, all you were really asking was to do a song. And Stephen and I would come up usually with something goofy and, and, and I had the And funny and brilliant and professional. Yeah. And you set the bar and people couldn't wait to come back because they loved it so much. And the audience couldn't wait to come back and give money to the National Breast Cancer Coalition, yeah, which, is which is awesome. Great. Which is, and in fact, they did it. They've still been doing it. Uh, it's just had the last its couple of years. Year. Yeah, just had its twentieth year. Yeah, yeah. They just did it on the lot at Paramount. We didn't do it this year, but the year before, I was in Vancouver, and we got the call. Do you want to do Lay Girls? We said, of course, we'll do it. But I, I knew I was not going to be in town, and nobody was doing it live anyway. It was viral, so we came up with oh, something. Yeah. What was it? It was your. It was your idea? It was about. It was so it was, stupid. It was based oh, people, on um, people who need people. Was Barbra Streisand song of the song "People"? People, people who need people are the luckiest people. And the idea was, what if we were Eric and I were supposed to do that number, and I would I would be a, mas- a masseuse, and Eric would be on a table, and I, we would sing "People Who Need K N E A D." It was a That's silent the joke. joke. That was the whole joke, and yeah. we managed to somehow do it from two different cities <laughs> and so added it good. together. It was so dumb, but it, it actually was, worked. <laughs> and and the thing is that he he and part of the bit was that he couldn't be there. But he would be he would FaceTime his part. So right. I would put his phone with his face on it on the massage table while I massaged the phone. <laughs> yeah, they were it was like really utterly ridiculous, but it worked. Table. It was funny. <laughs> I mean it's so silly. I'd love to see a tape of that. Uh, we, we, we can get it for you. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please tell all your friends about it. Um, we, uh, and I hope that you guys will, will come back and eat. So we'll, we'll graduate to dinner where we can all just get loaded and, um, and have a great time. <laughs> sick. <laughs> sick. Uh, uh, speaking on behalf of Stephen, we love you both. Thank you so much for doing this. And Thank you. Us. I just can't imagine spending time with three nicer guys. Thank you. Thank That's- you. So nice, Perry. You're so nice. I mean it. I mean yeah. it. That came out so stupid. It's a little weird, but it's I, I nice. drank. I ate too many grapes. I yeah. think. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>